0: Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. There's a member of our congregation who writes down thoughts that come to him during his quiet time, and he often sends me those. He sent me one recently. went like this. I flushed a $5 bill down the old John today. Yep, just threw it in there and flushed it. Well, not just like that. Actually, after I took it out of my wallet, I looked at it for a moment. Five bucks. What would that pay for? Gas for the car. Insulin for Ashley. Part of a new shirt. Dinner. Several dinners for a hungry child in South America or Birmingham. A book for an inner city school library. A talking book. For a sightless person, a small portion of a teacher's or a policeman's salary, a couple of ice cream cones at Baskin-Robbins or some chocolate. After the early service, uh, one of the members mentioned uh, 50 pounds of food. If we give it to our fund out here, the uh, fund that we have the little box together, He says, uh, hey, it was just five bucks. Is there really all that much I could do with it in this day and age? Frittered away, perhaps. I mean, how much good can five dollars really do? Not all that much, it seems. So I dropped it into the bowl and watched it float there. I had just thrown five dollars into the toilet. I wasn't sure I was believing what I was doing. There was still time I could retrieve it, wash it up a bit, put it back in my wallet. Then I could buy something with it, chocolate, uh, ice cream, uh, yet another shirt. But no, I had to go through with this. I had to carry out my plan. I reached for the lever and flushed it. Round and round it swirled, and then the rushing water pulled it out of sight. Five dollars gone, just like that. Nothing of benefit would ever come from that five dollar bill. I don't know if you've ever flushed a five dollar bill. That was my first. And yet I wonder how many five-dollar bills I've spent with the same result. I've spent with the same result. I wonder, too, why it was so much harder to flush it than to spend it on something worthless. Hmm. You know, so much good can be done with $5 or $50 or $500 or $5,000. We got a newsletter uh, from John Buell, who's from our congregation and set up the Foundation for Thought and Ethics and published books uh, dealing very professionally with the issue of creation and similar issues. Uh, the book, The Origin of Life, by Charles Staxton, was translated into Romanian. He tells about this, Romanian, just before the revolution in Romania, when Ceausescu was removed. And uh, it was in a bookstore or two there somehow, and some professors got a hold of it at the university there at Timisoara, where the revolution began. And they invited, right after the revolution, they invited Charles Staxton to come to Romania and speak uh, there at the university to the faculty and students. And uh, and another university, the two major universities there in the country. And, uh, in fact, he spoke to a majority of that country's educators, delivering a four-night series at both universities. Beginning with about 300 faculty, the crowd grew almost 100 each night, They came to hear him at 5.30 p.m. and stayed for six and seven hours. On the second night, his topic was the origin of life, the subject of his book, and about 450 copies of the book were passed out. The next night when they came together at 5.30, many of them had read the book in the interim and had uh, many, many questions. It says, uh, when the long question-and-answer session was over, they mobbed him like a celebrity to get his autograph. Uh, tremendous. That's called somebody didn't spend their $5 on something worthless, but gave it to a cause like that, and many people joined hands, and, and that was the result. A few years ago, we as a church, uh, about eight years ago, we as a church took $25,000 a year for three years, invested in a young man by the name of Harry Reader, who our denomination wanted to place in Charlotte, North Carolina, to plant a new church. Uh, today, that church has some 1,500 members and is giving about a half million dollars to mission work, and they've already started two other churches. Uh, about six, seven years ago, our church sponsored with others, uh, Josiah Bancroft from our congregation, pastor, uh, down at uh, Mobile. And now they've just built their first building and moved into it. Uh, their budget is probably $300,000 now, and, and they're giving away 100000 to missions and, and other uh, good causes like that. Because we didn't flush it down the toilet and we didn't spend it on something worthless, but we invested it so much good. Can come if we use our resources in the right way. In this passage in Mark 12, we have some giving that caught Jesus' attention. In verse 41, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. Uh, Here in the temple, there's a section that's uh, dedicated to the people's offerings. In that that area, they had 13 brass boxes with sort of trumpet-shaped tops on them that you could put your coins in. Jesus positions himself where he can see what people do. Suppose when our... When our ushers took up the offering, I left the pulpit area here and came and followed them up the aisle and looked very carefully as you made your contributions. That make you nervous? That's what he did. And uh, we think, well why did he position himself like that? Obviously, because giving is important. And he's observing, it says, how people gave. That's important, spiritually. And notice what he observes. Verse 41, it says, And many that were rich cast in much, which is what they should do. To whom much is given, much is required, said the Lord. Uh, scripture says it is God who gives you power to get wealth. And as we heard uh, uh, the sharing there by Gene. It was very obvious how God was leading him in some very unusual ways and giving him resources. And as he began to give those resources, God began to channel channel more in. It's God who gives you power to get wealth. And it's not really yours. Uh, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. He owns us. He doubly owns us if we're Christians in the sense of he bought us with a price and we're not our own. And uh, we manage his resources. Myself, my abilities, that's his. But I manage it. And any material resources he entrusts to me, those are his that I manage for him. I'm a steward. He's the owner. And so... If I have great resources, then I should give much. He gave them to me to give. Now, why did they do this? Well, doubtless in the crowd there, of these wealthy people who gave a great deal. Some gave from very genuine motives. Possibly Joseph of Arimathea was one of those. Now, he's the one who later on came and begged the body of Christ when everyone else had forsaken him. Or maybe uh, Zacchaeus, who gave half of his goods to to feed the poor after he was converted. Maybe he was among them. So some, doubtless, had very valid motives. Some may have done it out of ostentation. You know, with those brass boxes, it'd make a lot of racket when you gave your coins, wouldn't it? And uh, I can imagine when a notable person approached the one of those boxes at a hush would come over the people around and they would all watch and they would all listen. And then when there was the clatter of coins on the brass where it would probably be an audible murmur, some doubtless gave it to call attention to themselves. Maybe some gave it thinking that they would uh, thereby earn God's forgiveness, make up for the wrong they'd done. I, I used to think that way. I'd done so much bad, and now if I could do so much good, that'd balance out, and I was okay. I knew I'd done a whole lot of bad, and so if I was going to balance out, I had to be a preacher. My goodness. But i totally missed the concept of grace, hadn't I? That salvation is a sheer gift. It's not something you can earn or deserve by your good deeds. Christ did all the deserving. He died for us. He purchased salvation in full, and it's offered to us as a free gift through repentance and faith, through surrender to Him and trust in Him to forgive me as a gift. Uh, We see the position of Christ. And notice this, this giving that caught His attention, the action of a widow woman. In verse 42, there came a certain poor widow. And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Two mites, the the Greek word is lepton, L-E-P-T-O-N. And you look it up in a Bible dictionary, it says it's worth about one-eighth of a cent. So what she cast in was about one penny. And Jesus knew that that was all she had in the world. Doubtless, uh, you know, widow's had it hard then, and doubtless uh, she uh, was dressed very shabbily, but he knew. And he got excited, and he called his disciples over and uh, called their attention to this. Now, why did she do this? Why did she give all of her living? Well, doubtless, uh, out of love. She wasn't trying to call attention to herself. And she wasn't thinking in terms of earning God's forgiveness. She did it out of gratitude and love to God. And love for a fellow man. Maybe maybe this can help somebody else. Uh, You know what? She was grateful. She'd obviously come to know God in a personal way. She was grateful for forgiveness of sin. But she didn't know... She didn't know that the man sitting over there watching was God. Was the one who created the universe. She didn't know that. God the Son. And she didn't know why he had come into the world. Why he became man. She had no idea that... God was going to become a man and die for her sin. If she'd known that, no telling what she would have given. We do know that. We do know that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. If she loved God and if she was grateful... How grateful should I be? She did it out of love. You know they say money speaks, it does. Money speaks. It it tells us where our heart is. And she did it in faith. Uh, does she think she's going to do this and then go home and starve to death? I doubt it. I suspect she'd been doing this type thing for a long time, don't you? And she didn't think she was committing suicide or she was going to starve to death. Why? Because she'd experienced her Heavenly Father looking after her year in and year out. She lived by faith. Jesus said, don't be anxious what you'll wear, what you'll eat. Your Heavenly Father knows you have need of such things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spend. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I suspect she went home and there was a check in the box for a million dollars, don't you? No, I doubt it. I doubt it. Might have been. God sometimes does that. But sometimes he doesn't do that. At the early service we had someone share and that wasn't his experience. Somebody said to me, he said, uh, do you ever have anybody that starts tithing and goes broke? I said, yes, but we don't put them in the pulpit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I suspect that uh, God kept her fairly close to that level of lifestyle. And I don't know that. We'll meet her in heaven. We can find out. Because God wants some people like that around, living by faith, challenging the rest of us, and joyous, and grateful. He wants them around uh, for the rest of us to learn some lessons. You read about another widow woman uh, in First Kings, <clears throat> the widow of Zarepa, whom... Uh, the Lord tells us, uh, whom well, Elijah tells us, that the Lord told him the Lord had commanded this widow woman to provide for him. There was a drought. Elijah had prayed, and it hadn't rained for three years. And Ahab was trying to kill Elijah, and Elijah had to hide out. And he was by a brook, but the brook dried up. And God says, I've commanded a widow woman uh, to feed you. You go there. It doesn't mean that the Lord had necessarily told her, I'm going to send Elijah to you. But just that God says, you go there, and I'm going to work it out. And she will come do this. She will provide. So Elijah goes to Zarepa, and as he does, he sees this widow woman collecting sticks. And he says, would you bring me uh, some water? And she starts off to get him some water. And he says, uh, he called after and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. That's all we've got, just enough for my boy and me, and just enough to sustain us for one last meal, and then that's it. And uh, Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me a little cake first, and bring it unto me. Afterward, make for thee and thy son. Hmm. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, Until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. There's the challenge, there's the promise. Now all of a sudden it's a matter of faith. God said this, will you act on it? Will you believe it? She can protect herself and not do as he had suggested and give to support the man of God and God's work. Or she can trust God Provide for him and see what God does for her. It says, She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the crews of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Well, uh We trust Christ for our salvation. Can't we trust him for our daily sustenance? You have the position of Jesus, the action of the woman, and then the evaluation by Jesus as he evaluates her act. In uh, verse 43, he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow, widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury, for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. She gave more than them all. Why? Because hers and sacrifice, theirs was from the overflow. The amount is evaluated in terms of what it costs us. Someone's written a poem about this. Unnoted he sat by the temple gate while the rich and the poor passed by. And he read their hearts as they dropped their gifts. Neath the gaze of his searching eye, each gift he weighed in a subtle scale as it dropped in the temple store and the pain it cost and the sacrifice and the burden of love it bore. But the piercing eye of the watching Christ looked not At the proffered gold, not what did he give was his searching test, but how much did he withhold? By that standard stern, the rich man's tithe was shamed by the widow's might. For she gave her all while he kept his wealth as he passed from the master's sight. Well, the lesson for us, number one, giving is important. It's not a sideline in the Christian life. I believe I've seen more growth take take place in people's lives after they became a Christian through wrestling with giving than any other area of their Christian life. It's not a sideline. It's a major part of our growth spiritually, of our dealings with God and his dealings with us. Matthew Henry said, This is recorded to teach us that charity to the poor is a main matter in Christianity and to teach us that Jesus Christ has his eye upon us to observe what we contribute to works of piety and charity and whether we give with a willing mind or with reluctance. You know, when you send in a check to the IRS, they couldn't care less about your attitude of heart. But when you give to the Lord's work, he does care. Do we give with a grudging spirit, or do we give out of the same kind of spirit this woman had? Giving is important. Giving should be a proportionate thing. That's another great lesson. Calvin, John Calvin, commenting on this, says, The lesson is useful in two ways. The Lord encourages the poor who appear to lack the means of doing well, not to doubt that they testify to their enthusiasm for him, even with a slender contribution. If they consecrate themselves, their offering, which appears trivial, will be no less precious than if they had offered all the treasures of Croesus. On the other hand, those who have a richer supply and stand out for their large giving are told that it's not enough if their generosity far exceeds the underprivileged. For with God, it rates less for a rich man to give a moderate sum from a large mass than for a poor man to exhaust himself in paying out something very small. Our giving is important. Our giving should be proportionate. Giving is contagious. What effect would it have on you? had you been standing there when the Lord called the disciples over and said, look at this. Immediately you'd say, gosh, I think i better up my giving. Exactly. That challenges you. Giving is contagious. It is possible for a whole church to have that spirit that the woman had. Is that possible? You read in Scripture about a church like that, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he uses another group of churches to challenge them, the churches in Macedonia. And he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 1, Moreover, brethren, I want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their their gratitude and gratefulness to God, and their deep poverty, they will all like this widow. Their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They insisted that I take. Paul said, I didn't want to take it. I thought, you can't afford to give. And they insisted. And... uh, this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. There's a whole church that's caught that spirit. uh may be that there was a widow woman in that church who set them all moving in that direction by a similar act to what we see here. Uh, Paul not only uses the church to challenge the Corinthian church, but he uses the greatest example of all. He says, you know, our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Well, there's more to the poem. It goes on like this. By the gates of the treasury still he sits and watches the gifts we bring, and he measures the gold that we give to him by the gold to which we cling. How much to revive a starving world? How much for our pampered plates? How much to extend the king's frontiers? How much for our own estates? O master of men, spur our lagging zeal till we answer the kingdom's call and lay on the altar a worthy gift, ourselves and our gold and our all. Let's let uh, the act of this woman the evaluation of that act by our Lord, challenge us to bring a worthy gift. You have in your bulletin a pledge card. If you take it out and look at it for a moment. Uh, We're asking you to make a pledge to uh, our budget, to the Lord through our budget uh, for the coming year. What I'd like to ask you to do is to take this and pray and ask the Lord to show you what He would have you do. And say, pray like this. Say, Lord, what would it take for me to have the spirit of that woman? The spirit of the woman. Uh, How much of your resources do you want me to channel into this? Now, What I'm going to do is uh, to give you time to just go before the Lord like that and pray. And then we'll ask you to fill these out. If you want to take it home and talk it over with your wife or husband and bring it back tonight, that'd be fine. Or bring it, mail it during the week or bring it next Sunday. Uh, Next Sunday will be our Every Member Canvas Sunday and we'll have folks going out next Sunday afternoon. And if you have some question you'd like to discuss with them, well, you can just wait and they'll... Be glad to do that. But we'd like to get as many of these in today as we could. So uh, let's go before the Lord and pray. You ask him to show you what he'd have you to do. Let us pray. Father, we want to wait before you. We thank you for this story in Scripture and the challenge. We pray that it would be contagious in our lives and in our congregation. Father, uh, direct us now that we might have the spirit of this woman as we wait before you. It's possible as we wait that you have never made a commitment to Christ. And if you haven't, of course, that's the starting place. You should pray and invite Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for your Spirit who guides and directs, and we ask that you bless now in Jesus' name. Amen.